There's one perspective on vulnerability that we need to address, and it's that of your little newborn. They come into this world completely and utterly helpless. Newborns are unable to protect or feed themselves, and if they didn't have someone to help, they'd literally be covered in their own crap, y'all. Newborns are defenseless and dependent, and they represent what each one of us, even when we're fully grown-ass adults, need. To be seen, heard, soothed, held, loved, and connected to others. Now, not all of us got what we so very rightly deserved when we were small. We may have had parents that were distracted, neglectful, or even abusive at times. Maybe we had to parent ourselves because our own just couldn't hack it, lacking the ability to attend to our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual needs. Or maybe you were blessed by having parents that understood the assignment, and it feels like they are such a serious act to follow. Y'all, either way, that makes the whole business of becoming a parent feel even more vulnerable. You might question, what if I make the same mistakes that my parents did? What if I'm not up to the task either? What if I can't fill in the gaps? They're too deep or there are just too damn many of them. What if I can't parent my kids as well as mine parented me? How the hell am I supposed to figure out how to raise the next generation? Welcome. My name is Barb Buckner Suarez. For over two decades, I've worked as a childbirth educator and a couples coach, helping thousands of families say yes to parenting. I've got some thoughts about how life changes when we choose to become parents. Those thoughts may be irreverent, funny, or countercultural at times, but I promise you, they will always be real. Whether you're curious about starting a family, in the middle of your fourth pregnancy, or your birthing days are long over, raising the next generation is hard and all of us could use a little more support. I want this to be a place where you can find that support. Because let's face it, birth happens. I had all sorts of ideas for the final episode of Season 2 of Birth Happens. But when we're talking about vulnerability, it makes most sense to talk about the reason why we're feeling this way. Your baby. At some point during pregnancy, or birth, or shortly after when you're in the throes of new parenthood, the realization sets in that you're now totally responsible for another human being. There's almost always an oh shit moment where you're like, not it, but there's nobody else to pin this on. I want you to breathe. It's going to be okay. There are three universal truths about this whole parenthood gig that are worth remembering. Number one, the learning curve is very steep at first, and there are way too many skills that you need to learn. But you're going to get tons of practice in a very short amount of time. And then it starts to feel like you might even be able to do this in your sleep. Number two, there's much more help out there than you think there is to bridge any gaps you might have in knowledge or hands-on experience with a newborn baby. You just need to know where to look and have enough humility to ask for it. And number three, literally no one knows the right way to do this thing. In fact, I'd argue that there's actually no right way to parent, just your way. But it's going to take you a bit to develop your parenting with confidence and zero judgment muscle. Understanding the difference between expectations and realities of life with a newborn, that your little one is not trying to torture you, they're just trying to figure out how to live outside of their first home that was your body, and that nothing you're going to go through as a new parent will last forever, are some really good places to start. 
Is it possible that you might not be the ideal parent that you thought you were going to be before the baby arrived? Is it possible that you might parent differently than you'd imagined because, hello, reality? These are just a couple of questions to think about as you begin your parenting journey. Because this is a crazy job, parenting. You're basically signing up to bring a new human being into the world and hopefully have them become a self-sufficient citizen who will eventually make a positive contribution to society. This will happen, in large part, based on your skills as a parent, but you've never done this before, and it's strictly on-the-job training. So how are you supposed to figure this out? I remember before I had children of my own, how amazing I was going to be at this whole parenting thing. I knew what all the books said about best practices, and I was going to be doing all of them. All of them. And then my baby was born, and I realized that maybe I needed to calm down just a little bit. I needed to reassess my new normal and realize what was doable for me, my husband, and my baby, and what was not. Here are just a few examples of what I thought I'd be doing as a new parent before the baby arrived and what really happened after she got here. Pacifiers. Before. For some reason, I had decided while I was pregnant that my baby was never, ever going to have a pacifier. I'm not sure why I thought they were evil, but I felt very strongly about this. There was no way my kid was going to have one of those things hanging out of her mouth after. Until that is, when I desperately needed a break from her constantly sucking on my nipples. I remember the exact moment when I went full reversal on this decision. I woke up one morning at the start of our third week. Breastfeeding was well established, so I wasn't worried about nipple confusion. I shook Roberto awake and told him he needed to head to the store right now. You're going to buy one of each and every type of pacifier that they sell and bring them all home because this kid is taking a pacifier today. Diapers. Before, I was only going to use cloth diapers on my baby. From an environmental standpoint, I wanted to do the green thing. Although back when I had my first baby, all the studies to date said there really wasn't a significant difference between the two options, disposable or cloth. That's changed now given new energy saving standards and washing machines, but I digress. So we asked folks at our baby shower to help us pay for a cloth diaper service because let's be real. I wanted to do cloth diapering, but I didn't want to have to wash all those diapers by myself. After. We stuck to cloth diapers, at least for a little while. I could never get the hang of how many diapers we'd need to order from the service to make this cost efficient. I always either A, ran out too early, or B, had so many left over that I'd have to use them as dust rags and then invent reasons to clean up around the house to make me feel better about how much they were costing us. In the end, we switched to disposables. It might not be the greenest choice, but it was the one that worked for our family and made the most sense. Bed sharing. Now, this was a long time ago, y'all, long before any discussions about safe sleep. I'm not trying to provoke a debate or come down on one side or the other. This is just another example of what I thought I would do versus the reality of what I actually did. Before, absolutely, my baby was going to sleep in our bed. It seemed like such a beautiful way to spend some extra snuggle time with her and would make nighttime feeding so much easier. After, there was no way in hell I could sleep while my baby was in bed with me. I found out that I'm an incredibly light sleeper and her slightest movement or newborn snort would wake me from a dead sleep. 
After exactly three nights of no sleep, plus not sleeping because I'm feeding a newborn, we bought a little co-sleeper and set it up directly next to the bed. Oh, sweet relief. I actually slept. In between feedings, that is. These are just a few personal examples of how it's possible that your idealized version of parenting might change when it bumps up against your personal reality of parenting. Just like pregnancy and birth, we have expectations about how we'll be as parents before we're ever actually parents. Everyone does it. So don't beat yourself up about that, y'all. And give yourself a break if you end up making different choices in your day-to-day reality. Everyone does that too. Remember, it's still possible to be a great parent, even if you do things very differently than you ever imagined you would. What thoughts did you or do you have about how you might parent your newborn? Do you think those thoughts might be challenged by your reality of parenting? What might have to change once your parenting reality settles in? Maybe you got home from the hospital or birthing center just a couple of days into this new parenting gig and thought to yourselves, we got this. There's food in the fridge. The house is calm and peaceful. Our gorgeous baby is sleeping quietly in their bassinet. (laughs) What is everyone complaining about? New parenting is a breeze. And then your baby woke up. But I don't mean like waking up from a nap. No, I mean they wake up and they are hangry. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced being hangry before. It's when you're hungry and angry at the same time, and it isn't very pretty. But no one experiences hanger quite like a newborn when they first really wake up, which happens for most babies somewhere between day two and day five postpartum. Think about it. They've never experienced real hunger before this. They were provided whatever they needed instantaneously and continuously, but now they have to ask for what they need. And their bellies are so incredibly small that they digest their food in no time at all. After they wake up for real, any warm, fuzzy, sunny idea you might have had about parenting a newborn turns into the cold, dark, stormy reality of actually doing it. Coupled with your baby's desire for food, which can seem like it's constant, you have to deal with lots of other stuff, especially in those early days postpartum. Like, A body that has changed so dramatically that you barely recognize yourself. Your pregnancy hormones are trying to regulate, which is no small task. But now you've also got to deal with other hormones being triggered so you can make the milk to help quiet the squalling infant that seems to always be attached to your body. Your baby starts to pee and poop. A lot. And suddenly the pile of laundry climbs three feet higher from yesterday How can an eight-pound newborn create so much dirty laundry? Your sleep schedules have been seriously interrupted, and you find all those warm, gooey, love feelings that you were having for your partner start to give way to a scorecard of who's doing what in terms of caring for the baby. And unless you've set some solid boundaries ahead of time, you've also got loads of spectators, I mean visitors, to watch this whole thing unravel. I'm not painting this lovely picture to freak out anybody who's still in the waiting to give birth category. It's just that I get great feedback from former students when we get together for reunions. They all report that they would have liked more information about what those first few days might really be like. 
Y'all, I've been doing this for a long time, and I know that it's close to impossible for them to take in any information about the postpartum period. When they're in my classes prepping for birth, their brains only want the answer to one very important and very specific question. How do I get the baby that is currently inside of me to come out? But when former students talk about how different the reality was from what they expected in those first few days, and more importantly, how they didn't know if what they were experiencing was normal, I know I need to talk more about it. Your baby will seem like a little angel at first, and they'll be your angel again someday, I swear it. But initially, you could get duped into thinking that you've got the baby that everyone wished they had, only to find out a couple days later, they actually have the baby that everyone warned you about. Take heart. It's not like this forever. You will see the sun come out again. There are many, many more blue skies in your future. But if, initially, it feels like a storm cloud has settled directly over your house, I want you to know that you're not alone. There are lots and lots of other new parents who are going through the exact same thing. Finding them and talking about it can be a great way to get those storm clouds to blow over. At my reunions, Even though their babies are months older and the storm clouds are nowhere in sight, all of my families are better for the sharing of what those first few days felt like. Knowing that you're not alone really can help. So another plug for new parents to find support, either a new parent support group that's attached to where you gave birth or an independent one in your community. You'll find such comfort in knowing that you're not alone. Did your experience with your newborn look like this? All sweetness and light until... How'd you cope with the immediate switch between expectation and reality in those first few days postpartum? Have y'all ever heard about the period of purple crying? Have you already experienced it? If not, consider yourself lucky. But if you're listening to this and you're in the middle of it right now, you have my most sincere empathy. The period of purple crying is something that most parents will experience at some point, and I want you to know what it is. I also want you to understand that it's a temporary situation that will get better. That even if your baby does a little or a lot of purple crying, they won't grow into insufferable children. Purple crying is just a normal developmental process that newborns go through. Having realistic expectations about this might make it a little bit easier to get through than if you have no idea what it is until you're stuck right in the middle of it. So does this mean that your baby will be crying so hard that they turn purple? No. The word purple is just used as an acronym to describe this period of normal development for newborns. P stands for peak of crying. Purple crying begins about week two and continues until about months three to four. It can increase with every week, peaking at about month two, and then it starts to lessen during months three to four. U stands for unexpected. Your baby's crying can come and go without any reason. The R stands for resist soothing. Your baby may not stop crying no matter what you do to help them. The second P stands for pain-like face. Your crying baby may look like they're in pain, even when they aren't. The L stands for long-lasting. The crying can last as much as five hours a day or more. And the E stands for evening. 
Your baby may cry more in the late afternoon and evening time. Sounds fun, right? I know, y'all. It sounds terrible. But there are some things that you can do that might make this slightly less terrible. Remember that they call it a period, so that you understand that there is a beginning and also, blessedly, an end to this behavior. Now, some people want to label this period as having a baby who's got colic, and that might make you feel better, at least for a little bit. But sometimes that same diagnosis might make you feel like there's something wrong with your baby, or that they need to be treated medically, when really, they're perfectly healthy and just going through a normal stage of newborn development. Now, it's always a good idea to talk with your provider if you feel that your baby might be in pain or not feeling well. They'll be able to rule out any medical issues. But what are you supposed to do with a newborn who's having periods of purple crying? First, recognize that any attempts to soothe your baby might work some of the time, but nothing works all of the time. Your baby's a brand new little human being, and they can be unpredictable little buggers sometimes. That doesn't mean you shouldn't attempt to soothe your baby. You should. But try not to take it personally if after all of your lovely attempts, your baby still doesn't soothe. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong, y'all, or that you're a bad parent. It just means that for this period of time, your baby will not be able to be soothed no matter what you try. Frustrating? Absolutely. But at least you can stop thinking that you suck at parenting. What soothing behaviors could you try so that you feel like you're at least doing something? Change the baby's position. Sometimes this will be enough for them to settle down because of their different perspective or something in the environment that distracts them. Maybe they'll get a better look at your face or feel your body against theirs, which can be really comforting. Switch up the scenery. If you're inside, take them outside. Sometimes the change in environment, the temperature, the noises, the smells, can really help soothe your little one. If you need to, wear some headphones and listen to some calming music, loudly, if you need it. Repeat something over and over again. Try soft little pats on the bum or back to the beat of your favorite song. Engage their senses and create a rhythm out of whatever it is you're doing. Roberto had a different daddy dance that he created for each of our babies, the same movement over and over when our kids were newborns. It was soothing for them and gave his thighs and arms a little bit of workout at the same time. Win-win. White noise, even a vacuum or a fan, can work in a pinch. Some babies respond really well to white noise, y'all. You might have to start it quite loud, depending on their crying, and then gradually turn it down. This can be super helpful for some babies. Our friends had the cleanest house in town with their first newborn. We'd come over for dinner and take turns holding the baby and vacuuming all the rooms. It really worked. Keep your baby close to you. Try wearing them around the house in a sling or some other type of baby carrier. You might have to find the one that your baby particularly likes. We had to have a different carrier for each one of our four babies. Try to get them secondhand if you can, because they're not cheap. But if they're having a particularly hard time soothing, take off your shirt and add some skin-to-skin contact. This will usually help fire up the oxytocin for both of you. Try to engage all their senses for even more impact. But y'all keep it human, not mechanical. Babies will always respond better to human voices, features, touches, and smells than the most expensive toy or baby gadget ever created. Now, none of this probably sounds like rocket science to you. Cultures all over the world have used these same soothing techniques for their babies since the beginning of time. But here's something you might not know. There's such a thing as using soothing activities or techniques 
in advance of crying episodes to lessen the amount and duration of crying jags overall. Y'all, there are cultures where babies were worn almost 24-7, and they don't have the same levels of proper crying that our babies do in the West. That's interesting. You might try and track the actual crying episodes for a few days to see if there's any rhyme or reason to them. It can feel incredibly overwhelming if you feel like your baby cries all the time. But if you see in your notes that your baby's happy during the daytime and only inconsolable between the hours of 6 and 11 p.m., you'll see that they don't cry all the time. Now, that doesn't change that your baby cries nonstop for five hours straight, y'all, but at least it prepares you and allows you to create a strategy for how to effectively deal with this purple crying until it ends. Because it will end. I promise you that. At about 12 weeks, sometimes a little bit earlier, sometimes a little bit later, your newborn becomes a baby, for a lack of a better way to describe it. And that period of purple crying will become something of a war story for you to share with other new parents. But please, remember in that sharing to always let those poor parents who are still in the middle of it know that it will get better. It always does. Did your baby go through this? If you've experienced this firsthand, what was it like when it ended? Let's try to provide some hope for those who are still in the middle of it. Those signs you receive at baby showers that are supposed to go on your front door asking people to knock softly and avoid ringing the doorbell so your baby will stay asleep are really interesting to me. Not that I don't understand how badly it sucks when you finally get a baby to sleep to have them wake up sooner than you like. No, I get that, y'all. But those signs worry me that new parents might think that the only way to keep their baby asleep is to tiptoe around the house in their socks and speak in a nearly inaudible whisper. That really limits what you can do as a new parent, and it's super impractical, in my opinion. I remember images of our baby asleep in her bouncy seat. One particular time comes to mind. Our friends came over with their toddler, and we ate brunch and talked in normal voices, and then the toddler had a tantrum about having a poop diaper, and then our dog went crazy and started barking, and our baby slept right through all of it. She didn't even stir. But later, after everyone had gone home and our dog was taking a nap and my husband and I were reading quietly, a pen dropped off the edge of the countertop and our baby startled awake and began wailing. What? That doesn't make any sense. Unless you consider that newborn sleep patterns are really different than ours and won't start to look even vaguely familiar until they've made it through that fourth trimester, about 12 weeks. For myself and my baby... I found that wearing her during the daytime hours for the first three months, and yes, it was almost constant, allowed me to maintain some level of normal activity during the day with normal volume. I listened to talk radio the whole day through. It was my constant companion aside from my firstborn. I never thought to lower the volume of the radio just because she was sleeping. I wouldn't have been able to hear it. So our days were spent listening to the soundtrack of a rowdy dog plus NPR personalities keeping us up to date on the greater world around us. And she would wake and sleep at intervals that were pretty normal for a newborn, every couple of hours as she needed to eat. Once we'd finished a feeding session, 
we'd have a little face-to-face time, do a diaper change, and then she'd get another little snooze in before the whole cycle began again. Babies can be very different one from the next, and if you find that you have a baby that really requires a quiet house in order to sleep at all, then maybe these signs are for you. And I sincerely hope that they work and that you get some sleep too while your baby is asleep. But if you're finding yourself feeling locked in your house because it's nap time and you can't have anyone over or listen to music or a podcast while your baby's sleeping for fear of waking them up, then maybe see what happens if you strap them on and go about your day with normal volume. You need to find the right balance for both of you. It's important to take your baby's needs into account, y'all, but I'd argue it's just as important to take your own needs into account. You'll be a much happier parent if you feel like you can maintain some form of normalcy in that newborn period. For me, walking on tiptoe and speaking in whispers, it just wasn't going to cut it. Thankfully, my baby seemed just fine with daytime noises. She'd just tune them out when she really wanted to sleep hard, and if she was in a lighter state of sleep, she'd doze until she was ready for her next meal. She always woke up to eat no matter the volume of what was going on around her. Do you have a sign that you put on your front door asking people not to knock or ring the doorbell? Do you think it would make any difference in terms of how long your baby would sleep at a stretch? I used to look forward to the silence that would surround us at 2 a.m. when my baby would wake to eat again. The whole world was asleep, and we were the only two beings on earth, locking our eyes on one another in that moonlit room. Now, this was not always the case, mind you. Now, y'all, the first several weeks of breastfeeding were pretty terrible. It didn't matter that I could teach someone else how to latch a baby on correctly. I had no practical experience of actually doing it myself. I had the great idea that if I had the equipment and my baby had the reflex, it would be easy to put us together, and then we'd be the world's greatest mama and baby breastfeeding pair. (laughs) Nope, that's not exactly how it went down. At first, we were pretty good at it. I had plenty of colostrum, the liquid gold that the newborn lives on for the first hours and days following their birth, and getting her latched on to eat while still at the hospital seemed easy. She liked to eat a lot and my more mature milk, the white stuff, came in early, or so the nurses said. But they didn't really need to tell me this, y'all. I watched with a combination of fascination and horror as my size 34 A's ballooned to size 38 double D's almost overnight. In the shower at the hospital before heading home, I couldn't help thinking to myself, whoa, these are getting pretty big. Roberto was in the room on the phone with his father. I stepped out and mouthed the words, the breast fairy has arrived, and flashed him. He dropped the phone in complete shock. But by the next morning, it was clear that my centerfold worthy breasts were more of a curse than a blessing. My body had produced enough milk for an entire litter of babies. I was experiencing engorgement with a little bonus of oversupply. Each individual breast was larger than my head, and they were painful to the touch, Getting my baby to latch onto a nipple that was stretched so tight it was completely flat was an issue. That, coupled with her ridiculous ability to shove an entire fist into her mouth just as I was getting ready to slip the nipple in, made the whole process way more challenging than it needed to be. I couldn't believe that it took four hands to get her on at first. 
She would cry so hard when she was hungry that I would just shove her on as best I could, knowing that it was a horrible latch. How did I know? It hurt like hell, but at least she wasn't crying anymore. I tried to comfort myself with that thought, but it was hard to do when my nipples were getting destroyed in the process. The low point for me was probably day five, when she started to cry and really needed to eat, and then I started crying too. I'd gotten to the point where I didn't even want to feed her because it hurt so badly. Roberto, frustrated by not being able to make things better, announced, I'm going to go to the store and buy some formula. We'd called lactation services for phone triage three times already, but it was clear that an in-person visit was now necessary. Tracy, my IBCLC, was so good to me. She let me cry, she listened to me, and helped me understand what was happening in my body and how we could make it better. I went home with an interesting prescription. Cabbage leaves, hand expression, and even more frequent feedings than we'd already been doing. Only this time, I had perfected a proper latch technique and gave myself the permission to pop my baby off and start again if it didn't feel good. Tracy assured me that my newborn would not die of starvation if she had to cry for just a few more minutes before the right latch was achieved. It took a little while for us to get into the right rhythm with each other. My breasts had to become less engorged before good latches were happening consistently, and my oversupply issue was worked through by becoming a one-breaster, only feeding on one side at a time instead of switching halfway through at each feeding. For a little while, this meant I was pretty lopsided, but eventually all we got it. We figured it out, with a lot of extra help maybe, but still. Breastfeeding is something that both parent and baby need to learn how to do together. It's usually way more challenging than you think it should be, and it might take a while before you actually feel comfortable doing it. My initial struggle with breastfeeding was much harder than I had imagined, and I'd be lying if I said I never thought about giving up. Eventually, we did become one of the world's greatest mama and baby breastfeeding pairs. My baby and I even mastered the skill of going from breast to pumped bottle and back again, which was an incredible achievement for all of us. This allowed me to get more sleep, and Roberto got to share in one of the most important jobs ever as a new parent, feeding his baby. We dropped into a daily schedule. I would breastfeed her around 9 p.m., and then Roberto would stay up to watch Conan and give her a bottle at around 11.30. This meant I would get to sleep until about 2 o'clock in the morning. And then I wake to feed her once again. The whole world lay sleeping as the silence settled in around us. Her contented humming and my relaxed sighing the only noises to break the stillness. Did you have issues with breastfeeding at first? Did you have to make a different choice about how you were feeding your baby? How'd you feel about this in the first days and weeks of that fourth trimester? Your baby comes into the world completely dependent on you to meet all of their physical needs, but no pressure. They also look to you for their emotional and neurobiological needs to be met as well. The neurobiological system of a newborn is highly impressionable, and they are unable to regulate their physical and emotional states all on their own. The good news is that they do eventually learn how to do this for themselves. The not-so-good news is that until that time, they learn how to do this from the interactions they have with you. Newborns have four biological states of being in the world, 
deep sleep, light sleep, active alert, and quiet alert, and they rely on you, their parents, to help them maintain a sense of well-being as they travel back and forth and through these different states over and over again as they adapt to life outside of the womb. Each of these states is important and serves an essential function for growth and development. When you respond to these different states in ways that are sensitive and predictable, this helps your baby regulate and provides them with a sense of safety in their new environment. When babies can regulate these different states, it allows for optimal brain growth and development. And the result is a sense of well-being that helps them form a secure attachment to you. This secure attachment is central for connection and sets the stage for social and emotional learning. While they were in utero, you supplied them with the perfect environment where all their needs were met instantly and without any barriers between the two of you. It was automatic. But y'all, not everything completely synced up. As you move through the world in your waking hours, the baby was able to rest in their own little hammock, dozing or sleeping a lot of the time and not really coming awake until you'd finally collapsed into bed at the end of the day. This can be something to remember when you're puzzled why your newborn seems to do most of their sleeping during the day and is more wakeful at night, at least initially. Circadian rhythms do kick in. It's just not going to be immediate. Believe it or not, in the first few weeks of your baby's life, they will sleep between 16 to 18 hours a day, but they'll wake frequently, day and night, because they need to eat and eat often for normal development and growth. Remember, it's normal that newborns sleep in cycles that could be as short as 30 minutes and no longer than four hours at a time, even at night. The light sleep versus deep sleep states help explain how your baby can sleep peacefully through your neighbor's hours-long lawn care routine happening right outside their nursery window, but then startle awake when a pen drops off the kitchen counter. In deep sleep, newborns are out, y'all. They'll be very still and won't move much. They might make sucking movements in their sleep, which is so cute, and may startle from time to time, but this won't wake them up. In light sleep, newborns are in the REM state. They're dreaming. About what, I wonder? And their little eyes will move under their eyelids, sometimes even opening and closing. They might move and make noises during this state, and they're easily startled awake. Now, it would be great if our newborns could speak, but they can't. Instead, they give us some subtle and not-so-subtle cues as to how they're doing in the state regulation department, and it's up to us as their caregivers to try our best to respond appropriately to these cues. In this way, they learn to trust and rely on us. Quick side note. The relationship we share with our newborn is the one all other relationships build on, and it's the foundation for their mental and emotional health moving forward. So again, no pressure, y'all. How in the hell are you supposed to figure out how to help them regulate through these states? It's actually more instinctual than you'd imagined, and if you have the right amount and level of support, it might be slightly less anxiety-producing than you'd think. When they're in the quiet alert state, They'll stare directly at you so intensely that you may secretly wish that they would just blink already and stop trying to suck out your soul. In the same state, they may even imitate you, so if you stick out your tongue, they will too, to let you know that they're interested in engaging with you. Enjoy this state. It's amazing and can be a lot of fun. But understand that they'll only want to engage, or rather their brains are only capable of engaging in this way, for little bits at a time. How you know when they're done? they'll look away. 
Many eager parents who are really digging this quiet alert state will try to grab and keep their baby's attention again and again and again. And that's when you'll get to see how quickly they can move into the active alert state. This state involves everything from a little fussiness to outright frustration and crying in a matter of moments. No one digs all the crying that comes along with newborns, y'all. But it can be helpful to know that they're not trying to torture you. They're actually trying to communicate their needs to you. At first, it might feel like their cries are all the same. High-pitched, loud, and really irritating. But studies have shown that by the third day of life, mothers can tell their own baby's cry from that of other babies. And by the first month of life, most parents can tell if their baby's cry means hunger, pain, or anger. So the goal then becomes to try to respond to your baby in whatever state they're in, and then co-regulate with them. In this way, they can eventually learn how to self-regulate themselves as young children and then later as adults. The goal is not to eliminate their emotional state, but rather visit that state with them and try to help them feel safe. Doing this is the foundation for successful social emotional growth for your little one. And the core features include understanding their own emotional states, reading and understanding the emotional states of others, managing strong emotions and expressing them in ways that are constructive, regulating their own behavior, developing empathy for others, and establishing and maintaining relationships. Have I ever told you that raising the next generation is the most important work that you'll ever do? Breathe. Especially if you did not get all this in a bag of chips when you were a baby. All your attempts to meet your baby's needs, even imperfectly, are steps in creating secure attachment for your newborn. And the most gorgeous thing about this is that while you're creating that attachment for your baby, you're simultaneously earning secure attachment for yourself as an adult. You can be the parents who draw a line in the sand and announce to the world, or quietly inside your own heart, I am choosing to work on my own stuff, to seek out support and help for when things get hard, and to change what it means to be a family moving forward. I'm doing this for myself, as well as for my baby. My mom, wise mama of six, used to tell me on the days when I would call in tears to report that I'd already lost it with my kids 10 times before nine o'clock in the morning. Honey, the days are long but the years are short. I took great comfort in these words because they helped me to realize how temporary my situation was in the moment. It validated the intensity of the situation I found myself in as a young mother, but remained incredibly hopeful. Another phrase you might have heard that means something close would be, this too shall pass. But I like my mom's words more because they encouraged me to recognize how all of it is temporary. Thankfully, y'all, the dirty diapers end. The midnight wakings are reduced to the occasional nightmare or fever spike, not the round-the-clock feedings or just because they can't figure out day from night. The not knowing how to handle a newborn is finally replaced with a hard-won confidence that can only come from doing the work. But it's also a reminder that all the good stuff from the newborn stage comes to an end as well. 
the contortion and stretching that newborns do when they first get up from a nap, it goes away. The tucked-under-your-chin snuggle eventually stops because they just can't fit anymore. The sweet smell of milk on your baby's breath eventually gets mixed in with the smell of strained carrots and peas. And my personal favorite? The knuckle dimples fade away as they grow big kid hands. I think that understanding the temporary nature of the newborn period explains why so many parents who go on to have subsequent children seem to be so much more mellow when it comes to having their kids sleep in their own beds or get them potty trained at an early age. They've been taught by their firstborns that it's all temporary, all of it. So they might choose to linger a little bit longer than first-timers do in this newborn stage. Because you know what? My mom was right. There are still days where I think to myself, when will it end? When will this day come to a close so I can lie down and recover from the craziness that is my family today? But then I sneak a peek at my kids and realize that even those days are but a blip of time. My babies are no longer babies, and they haven't been for a very long time. When you're in the thick of it and feeling like all you're getting from this newborn stage is the hard stuff, it can be challenging to not wish it all away as fast as possible. I get that, y'all. But as quickly as the hard stuff goes, so do the sweetest moments of this stage. And what I can tell you for sure is that you don't get those moments back. Not unless you're willing to live through the hard stuff again with another newborn. In my opinion, a small price to pay. Because it's all temporary anyway, right? Have you already noticed how some of your baby's sweet and adorable behaviors have stopped? Does that thought hearten you that the really challenging moments of this newborn stage will be ending soon? Does the thought of this stage being temporary ring true for you, or do you have a hard time believing it? I want you to think of a moment when it's been very hard to be there for yourself or if you're already parenting for your baby. A moment when you didn't respond in a way that you would have liked. There was no soothing co-regulation happening, just frustration or resentment or even anger at how hard all of it is or was. Place your left hand on your heart and your right hand on your belly. Take in three big, beautiful breaths in through your nose, filling up your whole torso with life-giving oxygen and releasing each breath through your mouth with a loud sigh in the exhale. Picture yourself in that moment and say this or something like it. Oh, my love, it makes sense that you're feeling this way. Trying to figure out how to support your baby's needs is so hard, especially when your needs have to be placed on the back burner right now. It's okay to take breaks and ask for help. When you care for yourself first, 
it's easier to care for your baby. So remember, breathe, take naps, drink more water, and allow yourself to feel the vulnerability of parenthood. It has the power to transform so many things. I see you. I love you. You are already a good enough parent. I've been nudging y'all a little, or a lot, closer to your personal edge with my urging for you to try and embrace the emotion of parenthood, vulnerability. How you doing? It's just that I think we spend our whole lives running from this emotional state that honestly has nothing but gifts for us to receive. When we acknowledge our shared vulnerability as human beings, which starts at birth and ends with death, there's a life-changing opportunity for us to live and love and be here now and whatever happens in between. Parenthood encourages us to grow up, but I also remind you that it encourages us to see the world through our newborn's eyes, to experience the wonder and awe of it all, to be astounded by the fact that we are even here to begin with. And when we turn off the judgment and know that everyone, and that means everyone, is just trying their best when it comes to raising the next generation. We can focus on our family and what works for us. This is really liberating, y'all. It allows you to break free from the shouldas, wouldas, and couldas and instead respond in real time to the people and relationships that matter most. Y'all, I'm taking a summer hiatus from Birth Happens, but don't worry. I'll stay connected and highlight the most important aspects from Season 1, Intimacy, and Season 2, Vulnerability, over on the gram. You can follow me there at B. Buckner Suarez, and you can sign up for my monthly newsletter at bbsuarez.com. I'd really love to know what you think about Birth Happens. Please DM me and let me know if there are topics or themes you want me to explore. I created this podcast to support expecting and new parents, so hit me up with any ideas you might have for future seasons. And if you know of any folks who might benefit from the support, please send them my way. They can listen in wherever they find their podcasts or subscribe and listen directly at birthhappens.com. I am so looking forward to season three. See you soon on Birth Happens. Birth Happens.